Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosnansky. Ah, coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 14th day of March. I actually think I said the 7th day of February last week when doing this. My mistake. I apologize. But how's it going out there? Hope you're all having a great day. Hope you all had a fun, happy, safe weekend in what is the beginning of one of the best weeks of the entire sports calendar with March Madness uh, getting underway this week? And what's funny is I figured even as someone that did not pay as much attention to college basketball this year as I should have, uh, I figured, damn, I'm going to have a tough time uh, doing a podcast uh, this week. You know, not knowing um, as much about this season, you know, with everything that went on with the NBA, the the NFL, and how much I've covered the MLB's lockout. But lo and behold, sports continued to prove to be the greatest reality show, especially the NFL, because you would have figured oh, there would be talk about LeBron and Kyrie's 50-point games, uh, the tournament, um, and the MLB finally decided to act, stop acting like a bunch of babies and ending their lockout. But the NFL said, uh-uh, hold our beer. We're still the kings. It, you got to talk about us. Because it was just one moment after another in the last week when it comes to the NFL, especially when it comes to the quarterbacks in the league. Now, I'm I'm sitting in a county clerk's office last Tuesday updating my uh, passport because it seems these days even to travel domestically, you have to have a passport. And... I get an alert that Aaron Rodgers is going to be staying with the Green Bay Packers. Now, there's been a lot of uh, you know mixed reports on what the terms of the deal are. Originally, both Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport were saying that Rodgers has agreed to a deal that will make him the highest paid player in NFL history, four years for $200 million dollars. After it was originally reported by his good buddy Pat McAfee that Aaron would be coming back to play in Green Bay next year. Before a few hours later, Rogers says, Yeah, I'm coming back to the Packers, but the terms of the contract um, 
that have been reported are not true. You know, I guess he just wants to be in control of the narrative, but at least we finally have that soap opera over. At least we finally have, you know, one domino to fall in this NFL offseason with Rodgers agreeing to stay with the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, all along I had been saying I thought he was going to end up a Denver Bronco. Since last June, I thought all that it was a fate of complete. But over the last, you know, nine months, you had seen there had been a change in that relationship with Rodgers and the Packers. And things had started to improve. You started to have a sense that hmm, maybe there's a, a better chance than not of Aaron coming back to uh, Green Bay. Because I don't think he was ever going to retire, especially with all the money that they could have thrown his way. The, the problem here becomes now, in the last couple of hours, it's been reported that his teammate, Demonte Adams, will not play for the franchise tag. So he's going to want a deal that makes him one of, if not the highest paid wide receivers in NFL history. And you're going to have a good chunk of your salary cap tied up into two players. That's where you know the problem becomes with paying Aaron Rodgers $50 million. You would think that story would dominate the day, but within like two hours, news broke of Denver's backup plan, I guess you could say. Because when Aaron, the news about Aaron Rodgers uh, broke, I'm thinking, oh, damn, it's got to be heartbreak in the Mile High City. No, that's a very tame city. I've been there. Very nice place. Uh, but they probably had their hearts set on number 12 coming there and them having their third all-time great quarterback to play for that franchise in the last you know, 30 years. But I think they're doing okay today when two hours later news broke that they had completed the trade with the Seattle Seahawks to acquire Russell Wilson. And, no, listen, I'm sure this deal was in the works for weeks because something like this, you know, trading uh, three players and five draft picks for a player of Russell Wilson's caliber is not something you just throw together in two hours. They had this deal in the works, and we're just waiting to see what the decision was going to be by Aaron Rodgers. Because with Nathaniel Hackett as their head coach, Rodgers was their number one option. You know, they'll say all they want uh, about how it was Russ the whole time, but Rodgers was definitely the big fish they were originally chasing. But this is not this is not a bad backup option for you because you go from trading potentially for one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league to a guy in his own right in any given year is a top 10 quarterback in this sport. A guy that has kept the Seattle Seahawks relevant 
the last several years, even as their defense started to get older and decline, even behind an awful offensive line and a head coach in Pete Carroll, while good, has made some questionable decisions over the years. And, you know, the the Seahawks, they get a decent package back here. They don't come away as absolute losers in this. You know, Drew Locke, you know, he's clearly not a long-term franchise quarterback for anyone. But they get a solid tight end in Noah Fant, and even more so a good defensive lineman in Shelby Harris. But along with that, you know, you get two first-round picks, including the Broncos' number nine overall draft pick in this coming year's draft, make up for the pick that they lost in the Jamal Adams trade. They get two second-round picks over the next couple of years, and that's going to provide them the ammo where, you know, maybe they won't get their franchise quarterback this year because this year's draft class looks kind of bleak. But next year is supposedly, um, by all the scouts' measures, a pretty solid draft class. A, a draft class where you could dream about you know, potentially getting your guy. Maybe that, if the Seahawks you know, aren't completely terrible and are not in position to draft that guy on their own, they could use these picks as ammo to trade up to get that guy, to draft that quarterback of their choice. Or, or who knows, maybe, you know, with all that's clearing up in uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, we'll talk about that in a little bit, maybe they look to trade some picks to uh, the Texans and get Watson. Who knows? But, you know, the, the Seahawks by no means did awful in this trade. Yet it stings for a fan base for you to trade a guy that, in all likelihood, you're going to retire his number at some point. This was the face of your franchise for a decade. He won you, even though he wasn't you know, overly great in that one game, he won you your first Super Bowl. Yeah, it was won mostly on special teams and defense, but he wasn't just you know, along for the ride like Trent Dilfer uh, that year. He was a significant piece to the puzzle. And if not for a, a boneheaded call by Pete Carroll, was one play away from getting you a second one. So, now, I'm sure there's always going to be fond memories by Seahawks fans for Russell Wilson. But if you're a Bronco fan, you're happy today. Now, the problem becomes for the Broncos is you're in the worst division for this to happen because it's not like, you know, for Aaron Rodgers, he can look around the NFC North and laugh and say, oh, the second best quarterback in this division is Kirk Cousins. And, you know, the the Bears are trying to develop Justin Fields and the Lions trying to figure out if they even have a quarterback in general. But Russell Wilson goes to a, division now that has the best quartet of quarterbacks of any uh, division in this sport with the Chiefs with Mahomes, the Chargers with Herbert, the Raiders with Derek Carr. And you go to a conference that is loaded in quarterbacks, not just with those four, but we forget about Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, Joe Burrow 
in uh, Cincinnati. Of course, Josh Allen up in uh, Buffalo remains to be seen what happens with Watson in Houston. But when he's allowed to play, he we know he's one of the better quarterbacks in this sport. And of course, there's always going to be a young guy that pops up and uh, develops. So, you know, for the Broncos, they're getting a quarterback in what's an arms race now in the AFC. Rodgers was probably thinking now, wow, I got a clear path to the Super Bowl. Russ is, Russ is gone. Uh, we'll see what happens with some of the Rams' uh, key free agents if they're able to bring back Odell Beckham. Um, but... You know, it's kind of me versus uh, Matthew Stafford here at this point. Or at least he thought that until last night, which leads me to, you know, I don't like to say I told you so, but I kind of told you this one at last. Hi, Tom Brady. Welcome back. I said from the beginning I don't know why you went through this song and dance, Brady. Why you decided to retire. Because at the time of your announcement, it seemed like you still had one foot in the door. Hell, you went on your podcast with Jim Gray the next week and said, never say never. So that told me you were already thinking about a comeback and this whole idea that you were going to go into the movie production business with this 80 for Brady nonsense was just that nonsense. We knew that you were going to play your 23rd season next year. This entire time for years, you had been talking about wanting to play uh, until you're 45. Hell, just a couple of months ago, you were saying you felt so good you could play till you were 50. So why go through? I, I still don't understand why he went through uh, the sham of this all. I, I don't know whether it was because he wanted to make his buddy Adam Schefter look good, who was already coming out with reports before Tom, three days before Tom Brady announced this, that, oh, he, he was going to retire or if you were just emotionally exhausted after the loss to the Rams. But you should have waited a little while. If you would have waited until, say, end of March, beginning of April to make a uh, an announcement of your on your future, that would have been better than this. You know, because when you announce retirement and then come back a, a month later... You know, when we all knew you were going to come back, you were edging toward Brett Favre territory. And that's something that I think everyone around the sports world did not want you to do. You know, outside of the Flakegate, the last several years since you left the Patriots, you left that evil empire up there, you had become one of the most beloved athletes in all professional sports, if you weren't that already. So... It never really made sense to me why Tom Brady went through this entire song and dance. I mean, maybe now he wants a challenge because, you know, there'll be the haters out there that are critical of this or are not going to be looked at as the undisputed favorites in the NFC next year with 
all the guys that they have as free agents in O.J. Howard uh, and Dominic and Sue, JPP, Leonard Fournette, the fact that Chris Godwin is on the franchise tag and probably won't be available until late into the season next year after tearing his ACL. We'll see what happens with Gronkowski, but hey, you already got one of your favorite teammates to re-sign in Ryan Jansen last night, so I'm sure maybe he can uh, work some magic again this offseason. You'll get guys who are you know, veteran players late in their career um, willing to take that one or two year deal to try and get a Super Bowl, or maybe a guy like Odell Beckham Jr., who's going to be looking to potentially rebuild his uh, value with a good second half next year because he probably won't be ready for the start of the season before testing the waters for one last big contract next off season. We all know that you know, if Gronk is going to play, it will, like, it will likely be with the Buccaneers because He'll retire before he plays for another quarterback uh, um, other than uh, Tom Brady. But it's good to see the other number 12 come back. And good to see this kind of chaos and drama going on in the NFL, which continues to be the greatest reality show in all of professional sports. All right, a lot I want to talk about for the next about. 45 minutes or so here. Um, Give you some thoughts on Deshaun Watson, another quarterback trade that took place in the last uh, week, the boneheadedness of Calvin Ridley, baseball finally ending its lockout. I mean, so much to talk about this week. Uh, Glad you guys could join me. So please sit back, relax. Hell, put your feet up if you feel like it. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. You know, believe it or not, there was another quarterback trade that went down in the last week with all the hoopla excitement that went on with uh, the... Russell Wilson trade and with Aaron Rodgers returning with Tom Brady returning. Now it didn't get 
as much attention because I think a lot of people out there kind of scoff at this guy and treat him as a punching bag these days. But for the second off season in a row, Carson Wentz was traded. The Colts traded him, and thank God I get to say this, for the first time to the Washington Commanders for three draft picks, a second and third round draft pick in this year's draft, and a third round draft pick next year that could turn into a second depending on playing time. And listen, there's a lot of people out there that treat Carson Wentz as like a punchline, a, a punching bag with how things ended in Philadelphia and then how he played late in the season when the Colts had a chance to make the playoffs where all they had to do was win one game in the last two weeks and they're in the uh, postseason. But Wentz did not distinguish himself either against the Raiders or especially against the Jaguars, a game that was a total team failure, not just on him. But overall, he had a quality season. I mean, if you're looking at his numbers on the surface, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, over 3,500 yards passing, about 64% completion percentage, and a uh, 94.6 um, passer rating. Overall, the numbers are very solid. Not you know MVP caliber or anything like that, but definitely a quality, capable quarterback. The problem is, in the biggest moments, he failed. And he had a couple of games along the way where he was very turnover-prone, especially late in the second half of these games. So, you know, the commanders, you know, they're taking a shot here, taking a chance. He's a better option than Taylor Heineke. After them taking a risk, spending $10 million on Ryan Fitzpatrick last year to only get like a quarter and a half out of him. Now they'll hope for um, better, healthier things from uh, Carson Wentz. And the Colts, you know, kind of puts it kind of puts themselves in a rebuild mode now, where they don't have a true backup option at for their franchise quarterback uh, position. Because I don't think they have the ammunition to, uh, say, go out there and swing a trade for Deshaun Watson, who you're going to hear his name brought up an awful lot over the next week. You know, teams like the Panthers, the Saints, maybe even the Seattle Seahawks brought up. Now that they know he will not be facing any criminal charges when it comes to the sexual misconduct allegations. And... Listen, when it comes to Deshaun Watson, people have to understand one thing. The fact that he's not going to face criminal charges in connection with any of this does not mean he's off the hook, does not mean he's innocent, does not mean that this did not happen. It just means that they don't have enough evidence to take it to trial and, um, place him on trial to potentially convict him of any criminal charges, all right? It doesn't mean he's off the hook when it comes to the 22 civil lawsuits that he's still got a battle at whether 
you know, they come to settlements with all 22 of these women or, you know, you know he's got to pay a, you know, a hefty amount of money in them in all, you know, just losing the lawsuits um, in general. He's still going to likely face some kind of penalty from the NFL, whether it be a, a suspension of four to six games, eight games, something like that. So that's you know a bit of buyer's beware for any team potentially trading him, knowing that you're not going to have him for a full 17 games next season. But in all likelihood, we're going to get to see Deshaun Watson for the first time in almost two years, now that we know he's not going to go to jail for this. What is it, What is interesting, and I have heard this get brought up several times uh, in the last week, and there's really no denying it. It's funny. You know, Deshaun Watson, you know, teams will look to trade for him, but no one in the last five years wanted to bring in Colin Kaepernick, and all he did was take a knee. Interesting how those things uh, play out that way. Now, there was a uh, wide receiver that was suspended in this last week. And, no, I got to say, Calvin Ridley, what the hell are you doing? What What the hell were you thinking that you thought you were going to get away with this? Because it was middle of... In fact, actually, it was middle of the day last week, right after I got done recording uh, this podcast, that it was announced that Calvin Ridley has been suspended through the 2022 season, at least, for betting on NFL games. He'll be eligible uh, to petition for reinstatement on February 15th next year. The suspension will take... a a little over $11 million off of the Falcons' salary cap. And quite frankly, he, he's a bonehead here because you look at it, it was middle of November of last season when he was away from the club uh, due to what they're calling non-football illness. Now, he was dealing with uh, mental health issues, you know, and that's nothing to joke about. I hope he got the help he, he was seeking. But during that time away, he was, you know, in a gambler's sense, going nuts when it comes to parlays. He bet just under four grand on six different bets that included Falcons games. Five of them were parlays. In fact, one of uh, of the parlays was a $300 wager on an 11-legged parlay that uh, had Four hundred and eighty-one to one odds, and could have been a payout of a hundred and forty-four thousand if he hit it. But how is that even worth it when you're making eleven million dollars in the NFL? You know, you lose out on just under four grand. You know, he only would end up making about $600 in in all of this. But he loses out on more here 
because he's not going to get that $11 million next year. It's suspension without pay. Like, what the hell were you thinking, man? Good on the Falcons that they didn't try to trade this guy during this. You know, they knew this was coming, so they pulled him off the table when it came to trade talks. But he is just an absolute bonehead for thinking that he was going to get away with something like this. Now, speaking of wide receivers that got traded, Amari Cooper got traded in the last couple days to the Cleveland Browns for a fifth and sixth round draft pick. And listen, before any of my fellow Jet fans throw up their arms and whine and complain saying, oh, if all it took was just that, we could have gotten him for that. Because even though he, he had his bad moments in away games, Amari Cooper is a very talented, very good wide receiver and would have been a good weapon for Zach Wilson. But you have to remember, the Browns are picking up all of the $22 million that he's going to be due on March 20th. They're willingly adding that to his salary cap. He was not going to take a restructuring of his contract. And the Jets, even though they have a lot of salary cap, they're not in position to give up that kind of room on the cap to one player when they have so many needs. Now, the seller cap is going up from $182.5 million to just under $208 million when the legalized tampering period begins today at noon. But the Jets, you know, that, that's not a move while draft pick-wise they could have done it. It's not a move financially right now they're in position to do. And now, speaking of this whole legalized tampering thing, why is that still a thing in the in the NFL? Uh, uh, and I'm not just saying that just because I'm a Jet fan bitter about the how the Anthony Barr situation played out a couple of years ago. It just makes no sense to me in any sport, any of the cap sports, where you have this two-day moratorium, guess if that's the word, where, oh, you could talk to the guys, you can agree on deals. Hell, we've even seen deals already surprisingly agreed to at 12 noon today, but you can't sign them until 4 o'clock on Wednesday. That, to me, makes very little to no sense. You know, if you're going to agree to a deal, Force them to make the commitment right then and there. Don't provide the opportunity for the team they were with or another team to pull something underhanded and swing a deal with them to you know, back out on that commitment. Because we've seen a lot of teams, including my own, get screwed with that over the years. All right, going to take another break here. Come back on the other side. It's a happy day, people. Baseball is back. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon or whenever you happen to be listening to the podcast. Remember, as always, you can find me on social media on facebook.com slash keeping it sports with M3 on Twitter at M3 Rosansky. The Twitter account for Keeping Sports with M3 is at Keeping It Sports. And on Instagram, just look up Keeping It Sports with M3. You know, underscores in between each one of those uh, words, by the way. But that's where you can find us on social media. You can find the, the podcast on podbeam.com. I'll post the link with each of those social media accounts as well as find on Spotify, Google Play. Hopefully at some point I'll finally get uh, it working this week to provide it on Apple Podcasts. I'm also working on a new, you know, profile cover for the uh, podcast because after so many years, I think the picture of me standing in front of a bar is kind of outdated for the cover of the podcast, but welcome any and all listeners and any and all support. So last week, I was very harsh and critical toward Major League Baseball, and deservedly so, because I was getting annoyed with how it looked like for a second week in a row, we were going to have games canceled by MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, which turned out to be a veil threat. And Rob Manfred, every time he spoke in front of the media in the last couple of weeks, came off looking like a big buffoon. Because the sides kept talking past Tuesday and just before 3 p.m. on Thursday afternoon came to a deal on a new CBA. Now, there was some concern and some worry at the time when the new deal was agreed to. That certain people out there, certain players from a certain team in New York City weren't liking the new level as far as the luxury tax is concerned, weren't liking the new level as far as uh, the uh, CBT threshold 
only bumping up this year from 210 to 230 million and how uh, there were going to be stiffer penalties for those who went up over 250 270 and 290 million dollars in total uh, payroll but in the end cooler heads prevailed the MLBPA including the uh, player executives um, of the negotiations voted in favor of the CBA 26 to 12 the owners voted unanimously 30 and 0 and we now have a, a new CBA and the Lockout is over. Opening day will be on April 7th following a very quick spring training schedule that starts this coming uh, Thursday. And you look at the new CBA. Outside of uh, the the CBT, which, um, as I said, it will start at 230 million this year and by year 5 go as high as 244 million something the players were fighting for as well as a increase in the league minimum from 570 grand all the way up to uh 700 grand and will increase by 20 grand each season through 2026 I look at a lot of these on-the-field things, and I kind of like them as far as updates in this CBA. First, you got the new postseason format where instead of five teams in each league, it will be six teams uh, making the postseason in each league. Three division winners and three wild cards with the number one and two seeds in in each league getting a first-round bye. Three will play six. Four will play five in a best of three series, and then the winner of three six will play the um, the one seed. The winner of of four versus five will play the two seed in. I guess will still be a best of five division uh, round play. I had always been a fan of the one game wild card uh, playing scenario, but I guess. Now, people felt it would be more fair to give these teams, you know, kind of a double or nothing crack at at things here. The one thing that I'm a little bit disappointed is in in, in that we lose out on. Say there's a tie at the end of the season, there will not be any game one sixty three. There will be no tiebreakers in that sense of things there will be a formula that they use to determine tiebreakers i guess you know maybe common opponents or if you're in the same division and you're a you know a wild card team or you have a tie for the division they'll use a record versus your own division or head-to-head record something along those lines but i am going to kind of miss tiebreaker games because those were always fun. They would always have, you know, classic moments that we'd never forget. But the things that I love are there will be no more of the seven inning doubleheaders. There will be no more of the ghost runner on second base to start the extra innings. Thank God. And what do you know? The National League, welcome to the 21st century. 
they are finally adding the designated hitter. Along with that, you're going to see in 2023 the implementation of a pitch clock. There'll be bans on the defensive shift, which I'm sure make Joey Gallo smile. And and I'm sure somewhere up in Connecticut, Mark DeShera is saying, where was that 10 years ago? And that they're going to try to um, prohibit tanking by putting in this draft lottery system, which I'll see it to believe it, that there won't be any tanking going on. But, you know, so far, so good with this CBA. Now, I said from the beginning, the players were not going to get everything back that they wanted in this deal. They were going to have to inch their way towards, you know, getting back this the uh, CBT back to where they wanted get inch their way back to where things were before they got their ass handed to them in the previous two uh, collective bargaining agreements. But this is definitely a good start. Now, we'll see how it affects the popularity of the game because I've seen a lot of fans that have said, oh, I will never watch baseball again, be jumping for joy about this. And... For me, as of right now, I things could change. I'm in the mindset of I'm not going to buy a ticket to a Yankee game this year. I'll watch on TV, but I'm going to make the all these owners pay for you know putting us through this for the last three months. But hey, it, it's good to have baseball back because it would have been a long, quiet, boring three months there once the NBA Finals are over. And before the NFL gets started, not having any sports whatsoever, if baseball would have went on a lockout for this entire season, something that I don't think ever would have happened, but I don't think you could have ruled out the players doing that because they were clearly pissed with how things were going. Now, it hasn't been the complete opening of the floodgates that we expected once Things got settled and free agency was reopened at 6 p.m. last Thursday. And you've seen some deals take place. Uh, The Dodgers re-signed Clayton Kershaw, which, please, I mean, it's eat, sleep, Kershaw pitches for the Dodgers and repeat, as far as I'm concerned. Wake me up when he pitches for someone else. He's a franchise icon uh, with uh, the Dodgers. It just wouldn't seem right if he was pitching anywhere else other than uh, Southern California. But you've seen the Giants and Carlos Rodon. The Nationals signed their first designated hitter in franchise history, adding Nelson Cruz last night on a one-year $15 million deal. Now, fans around this area were starting to get a little bit antsy uh, until you know Met fans were made happy the last couple of days. Maybe not so much with the Adam Adovino deal, though if used proper by Buck Showalter, he can be a pretty decent reliever for the Mets out of that bullpen. I, mean, I don't think any Met fan is shedding a tear over losing Jerry's Familia, but Adam Adovino, while his numbers on the surface don't look sexy, He was good in the first half last year for the Red Sox, had an ERA under three. 
second half is where he started to decline, started to fall apart. You just got to watch this guy's workload, and he's a pretty decent reliever. But, you know, the big news from the Mets from over the weekend was acquiring Chris Bassett from the Oakland A's. Remember, this Chris Bassett who took a line drive off the head last year and was still able to come back and pitch for them late in the season. That That's what you call, as a baseball fan, it's not a sexy move, but it's a winning move. Because, you know, the Mets, they have their two-headed monster at the top of their rotation in Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, neither of whom are getting any younger, but are still at prime levels of competition. You add Bassett to the middle of that rotation, it slides everyone back. You know, Carlos Carrasco goes from being your number three starter to your number four starter, even though you know, he started to improve as his starts went on last year. Tymon Walker goes from your fourth starter to now your number five starter. And, you know, we saw how he ran it um, out of energy. The the tank was essentially running on fumes last year once he got past the 120-inning mark with the little workload he's had in recent years. So you add another quality arm to this rotation, allows some of their younger guys like uh, David Peterson more time to develop and improve in the minor leagues. And the Mets, on paper, have a pretty damn good uh, rotation here. We'll see if they make any more bullpen moves before the season gets started. You know, Yankee fans were the ones that were getting more so antsy. And it was very understandable. Hell, I was looking on Twitter every hour seeing if anything happened. Because, now remember, the Yankees, it seemed like they were the only team that didn't make any moves during the flurry of moves that were made prior to the lockout. They didn't sign any of the big free agent shortstops. But what people were forgetting is there's still free agents, there's still top players available, even while they didn't sign any of the top pitchers that were available, there were still players available that fit needs. And it seemed like a a lot of their lack of movement was centered around what Freddie Freeman is going to do. Now, I could be proven wrong in the next several days, or, hell, as we are speaking right now, I could be proven wrong. But I don't believe Freddie Freeman is going to be a New York Yankee. I think he's either going to be a Dodger or what I more likely hope happens, he signs with the Atlanta Braves. Because if he signs, re-signs with the Atlanta Braves, that leaves the Yankees all to their lonesome in the, the um, trade market for getting Matt Olson from the Oakland A's. But the Yankees did make their first big move, no, medium rare move, if you want to call it, of the offseason late last night when they would trade Gary Sanchez 
and Gio Urshela to the Minnesota Twins for Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kennerfalea, and catcher Ben Rortaved. Gonna have to work on pronouncing that name. And you look at the, the trade on the surface. You know, there's no Yankee fan out there, including myself, that is going to be shedding a tear over Gary Sanchez being traded. Because, you know, last year was the year I finally had enough of this guy. I finally had enough of hearing about his potential. Finally hear, had enough of hearing about, oh, he had multiple 30 home run seasons, how he was a all-star previously. Because he never improved defensively. Uh, yeah, he had a great arm behind the plate, but he was awful at blocking balls in the dirt, was lazy when it came to running down past balls, uh, couldn't catch our ace, Garrett Cole. How do you think he was going to do catching uh, Luis Severino for the first time in two years or catching Jamison Tyon when he's healthy? And even though he would hit these prodigious bombs, he would go on these, you know, two for 30 streaks in between that and either strike out or do nothing but hit weak ground balls to second base. It was infuriating watching this guy and then hearing the Yankees defend him afterwards. I had had enough. I was ready to move on. Every Yankee fan out there was ready to move on. We all wanted to pack the bags for him. Gio Urshela, he's a player while I liked him. No, you have A, you have to give up something to get something. And B, it didn't seem like there was a true place for him anymore because you had to move Glaber Torres off short to back to his more natural position of second base. That would put LeMayu at third base. And Urshela, while he can play shortstop, to me is not an everyday shortstop. So this trade does a couple things. A, get you out from under Gary Sanchez. B, you bring in a real shortstop in this kid, Connor Falea. And he's still a kid. He's, you know, he's in his late 20s. He's, what, 27 years old? So he's a guy that could be here for a while, even if he's viewed as kind of a stopgap piece. Because as we continue to hear uh, the Yankees talk about, they love these young shortstops they have in the minor leagues. Whether it's Peraza or Volpe, they, these are guys that they have their heart set being on part of their future. But Kenner Falea led the league in singles last year with 144 singles. Does not have a lot of power, but uh, stole 20 bases. And he won the gold glove at shortstop in 2020. So he's a nice player. Now, the catcher, he's a left-handed hitting catcher. Didn't hit a lot last year in his rookie season, but he's a guy that you can platoon with Kyle Higashioka. Um, you know, unless it's Cole's day, and then you know Higashioka will be catching Cole. Donaldson's the interesting part of this trade. Well, you know, the big piece to me is getting Falea, Kenner Falea, excuse me. Donaldson's the interesting part because you're adding two years at $50 million onto the payroll with Josh Donaldson's contract. And while last year he was only a, 
247 hitter, um, hit 26 home runs, did miss some time due to a calf injury. And he is 36 years old. He brings a couple of things. Good defense at third base, could still pick him, maybe doesn't have the range he used to, but still can play a more than solid third base. I'm not even going to get into the whole him versus Garrett Cole thing because I'm sure they'll they'll work that out. I'm sure Brian Cashman called Garrett Cole to give him a heads up before that deal was put in place uh, to see to check the the temperature on things there. But Donaldson brings something that the Yankees have not had for a while now. They have not had a guy. That when things are going bad or they're going through a bit of a slump, we'll get pissed off. They've had a bunch of nice guys. And while it's good to be a nice guy, good to have that lovable person like an Aaron Judge who's going to not going to give you much in a quote, but going to try to keep things positive. You need that someone that is going to get pissed off when the team's on a losing streak. Say that's not acceptable. You need that guy that, oh, if someone gets thrown up and in, is yelling from the dugout, or there's a benches clearing situation, he's the first guy out of the dugout onto the field. Or if he gets thrown out, he's coming at the pitcher. And that's the kind of guy Donaldson is. He's a grinder. He's a gritty, tough player that brings with them some postseason experience with both the A's and the the Blue Jays. He's played in big games. He has power. He could still play a pretty good defense at third base. So on the surface, there's a lot of Yankee fans question this. But to me, I like the move as long as this is not their last move. There has to be something else. There has to be more than just this. It can't be just this trade and it's like, all right, guys, let's go. Let's get the season started because they need to add a pitcher in my mind. And you have five infielders for four spots. There's going to be another trade coming. I expect it to be Luke Voigt traded, but I wouldn't rule out someone else getting traded. Either LeMahieu or more likely so, Glaber Torres. Because I talked about earlier Matt Chapman, or Matt Olson, excuse me, as an option for the Yankees. Now, one of the holdups in potentially tr- making that trade is the Oakland A's wanting Anthony Volpe. What if the Yankees said, all right, we'll offer you Luis Gill, We'll offer you another good prospect in our top 10. But what about Voight and Glaber Torres? Voight, you get your first baseman. And Glaber Torres, you get a 25-year-old second baseman that is shown the capability of hitting 35 home runs in the season. And the reason I bring up Torres is because I said earlier that the Yankees love Volpe, they love Peraza. Well, only one of them could eventually play shortstop. And I saw yesterday at the minor league facility, the Yankees had Volpe playing second base. I don't know if it means anything in the grand scheme of things, but it's just another option to put on the table 
for the Yankees in what you hope is not their last move of this offseason, if you want to call it that. Going to take one last break, come back on the other side, finish things up for this week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Okay, a couple more minutes here, but let's finish things out for this week. Keeping it sports with M3. Now, as I mentioned briefly earlier, yesterday, the March Madness, the NCAA tournament brackets were revealed for the 2021-2022 NCAA uh, tournament. And I'll be completely honest with y'all. No, I watched college basketball this year, but not as much as I normally do with being more invested in the NBA season and the NFL season. Plus, there are times that even yours truly has to take some time off from watching sports and ha- mix in a little bit of variety in, in their life. But, you know, on the sur- the surface, you know, you, you look at this, you know, the, the favorite, you know, most people are going to point to is Gonzaga. I'm sure the emotional favorite for some is going to be Duke, considering it's Coach K's final go-around in the NCAA tournament. But of course, you know, you've got Cinderella's that are always in the mix here, like one of our longtime favorites, uh, Loyola Chicago, who's a 10 seed in the South region going up against Ohio State later this week. There's always uh, you know, that 12 over 5 that you've got to look at in this where you know know, probably most will look at either a team like uh, Richmond or if uh, one of these teams in the play-in tomorrow night um, gets hot and can knock off St. Mary's out of the East region. Now they the tournament's always fun. I don't care if you're a diehard college basketball fan or you're someone 
like me this year that wasn't paying attention as much. Pick, print out a bracket and pick these games. You know, put together a prediction thing. You know, nothing stupid like you. You're thinking a 16 is going to beat a 1 because that's happened only one time. And even for as much as I'm going to be rooting for Udell against Villanova later this week because my family's annoying when it comes to Villanova and my best friend uh, went to Udell. Um, you know, nothing crazy along the lines of 15 over 2 or 16 over 1. But have fun with it. You know, that, that's what this is about. This is one of those things that for as much as we may differ in our opinions on sports or life in general, it has a way of bringing everybody together because everyone's always looking, oh, who'd you pick in your bracket? Who'd you pick in your bracket? It, it gives a great talking and discussing point amongst friends and family members. One guy that I've always been a fan of from afar, I'm really starting to get annoyed with. And it's starting to become an every week thing where there's some kind of drama revolving this guy when he never seemed like the kind of drama queen, drama king person before. And that's Russell Westbrook. Now, last week... There was all the controversy of, oh, should Frank Vogel bring uh, Russell Westbrook off the bench? And he was hesitant against that. And then you had Westbrook getting into it with uh, members of the Los Angeles media. Well, now, this past week, he's getting into it with fans. You know, it's one thing a couple years ago when he was still with the Thunder and they're in over in Philly playing the Sixers and you had that jackass in the crowd flip him the double bird for no reason as he was in the middle of his first of what would be three consecutive triple-double seasons. But, you know, Russell Westbrook's got to have thicker skin than to be getting into it with a fan for calling him a nickname in the crowd, a nickname that was first created several years ago by Fox Sports One Skip Bayless. Someone yelled, was chanting at him, heckling at him from the stands, calling him Westbrook. And he took issue with that, uh, saying, hey, don't disrespect my name. He's yelling at the fan had to be pulled back by an official and a teammate. And then afterwards is starting to go into the whole song and dance saying, you want to boo me. You want to say things about me, but don't disrespect my name. My kids going to school. They're getting made fun of, picked on. You know, I, I can't even bring them to games anymore. And listen, if there's anybody at these games that is verbally attacking Russell Westbrook's family, you know, his wife, his kids, um, shame on them because that, that's a scumbag move to pull there. Leave the, the athlete's family out of it. You want to boo them, you want to dislike the player, that's fine. But when you start going at the family, that's over the line. 
And if there's anyone attacking any of them on social media, that's also over the, the line. There are certain lines you don't uh, go to, and the family is one line you never go at. But you no, know, for him to get to flip out at a fan coming up with a what he perceived derogatory nickname, it's like, Russ, come on. You're the same one that called started calling yourself Mr. Triple Double. You start calling yourself Brody for some reason. We didn't come we didn't come up with those uh nicknames. You did. And now you get offended when someone takes the nickname that Skip Bayless came up with for you a long time ago because you're playing like shit. I mean, you need to develop a, a thicker skin there, man. I don't know whether it's because you're having a, a, an awful season by your standards with the Lakers or the Lakers are playing like crap and getting blown out left and right on national television. But come on, that, that to me seemed kind of petty by Westbrook. So, last Thursday, my attention was directed squarely on the Nets-Sixers matchup out in Philadelphia, and all I got to say is, hi, James Harden. How you liking the city of brotherly love now? You know, because when that night started, it was all going to be about how the fans reacted to Ben Simmons returning to Philadelphia as a visiting player for the first time, even though he wouldn't be playing, he was going to be on the bench. I didn't think it was necessary for him to be there, but he was getting booed throughout. Hell, there were even some scumbag fans that decided to drop the N word on him um, during pregame, which, you know, stay classy Philadelphia. But how funny is it that when the game started, the loudest boos were for one of their former players. And by the time the game ended, they were booing one of their own in Mr. James Harden, who had a nightmare, a disastrous game for the Philadelphia 76ers, going three for 17 from the field and only scoring 11 points. Meanwhile, KD's Posting up an easy 25. You got Kyrie uh, you know, schooling him on defense. S- Seth Curry, not Steph, um, draining threes left and right. And you know, Joel Embiid's 27 points could barely keep them um, afloat in uh, the second half as they would get thrumped by the Brooklyn Nets. In Philadelphia. I'm telling you right now James. You better hope that. Y'all don't meet up. In the postseason. Because there's more of this coming your way. Now. Ben Simmons. Hopefully he steps on the court. At some point. You're going to have to go up against him. Defensively. If it comes to a a matchup. Between the Nets and the Sixers. In uh, the postseason. There's only so much Joel Embiid can do. It'd be the first time that both Maxi and Thibault are truly heavily relied on in a postseason spotlight. And this is where you wanted to be. This is where you wanted to go. 
And not only do you no-show in the game, but then you're seen partying in the club in the hours afterwards. Ugh, James Harden. Uh, not a great look. Not a great start to your tenure in Philadelphia. And, you know, you're clearly seeing the difference that Kevin Durant makes on the Brooklyn Nets. Now, and I'm not just saying that based off the 53 piece that he put up yesterday against uh, the Knicks in a dominant showing by him at uh, the Barclays Center. But they've won three in a row. Now, two of those games, they had Kyrie available to them. He was in the building yesterday, but uh, was only there because he bought a front row seat to the game. And the, you know, the Nets now are two games over 500, uh, three and a half behind the Cavs for the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, where they would need to reach to avoid the play-in tournament. I'm not sure if they got enough time to fully catch up there, but you clearly see the difference that Durant makes and how there is no doubt in my mind that if he didn't get injured, he would be the front runner the favorite for the league MVP because this is that felt like a casual 53 yesterday. Yeah, he was without uh, Kyrie. Didn't know until game time that Seth Curry was going to be out with a sore left ankle. But it didn't matter whether you ran double teams at him. He was getting his left and right. The problem is, is he going to get his his two supposed tag team partners back for a postseason run. Now, Ben Simmons, is he ever going to step on the court? And is there ever going to be a change in the mandate in New York City? I mean, you're lifting all face mask policies. You're lifting all vaccine policies that there are. And while I... I truly believe Kyrie is being somewhat selfish. You want to give me this whole, oh, his body, his choice. To me, his body, his choice is whether he wants to go get a tattoo or he wants to have some kind of surgery done to him. His body, his choice is not um, you know, holding out on getting a vaccine that could protect the health of him and, and the lives of him, his family members, and countless others he's around on a day-to-day basis, but that's a story for another day. I mean, it's ridiculous that he can buy a ticket to be in the Barclays Center and sit there and watch the Brooklyn Nets, but he can't play? Come on. There's got to be some kind of common sense here somewhere along the line. I've been hoping against hope that there'd be a lift of this before March 18th, this coming Friday, when I will be at the Barclays Center to watch the Nets play the Portland Trailblazers. But clearly that's not going to be coming anytime soon. Hell, I'm worried that that's not going to be coming at all during this season. And it, it may lead the Nets to making a difficult decision one way or another this coming off season because you can't have another year of a guy on your team and he's only eligible to play in road games unless those road games are taking place um, north of the border in Toronto, Canada. 
This can't continue to happen. Somewhere along the line, there's got to be some kind of agreement here. Whether Kevin Durant forcefully takes a needle and shoves it into Kyrie's arm twice in a 28-day span. Or, you know, they lift the vaccine mandates. Because this, quite frankly, to me, is getting absolutely ridiculous. Road players that are not vaccinated can play at the Barclays Center. But Kyrie Irving can't. Someone please tell me where that is fair. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, March 14th, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Please stay safe, stay healthy in whatever you may be doing. And I'll talk to you again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.